This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. But, um, first and foremost, you know, I got to thank BJX, both the Rabbi Fingers, for like, this is like a consistent, I'm, I'm so involved with what they're doing that there's not one time that I've went over to them and asked them a request for something spiritually that wasn't accepted. So really, a yashar kayak to the BJX family. Beautiful for what you've done. Unbelievable. Who else do I have to thank? What else is here? Obviously, Torah Anytime. I know there's a few other organizations that are involved, so thank everybody for, for joining, and obviously thank you for inviting me. And when I say you, I say the BJX, because you had nothing to do with it. Um, but I was thinking about what we're going to speak about. What's something to discuss before Matan Torah, before giving of the Torah? You know, you, you, people want to get inspired. In life in general, people want to get inspired. So much so that you have these motivational speakers. You have people that write books. What do they do? They study successful people. They write all their successful habits, and they compile them together, and they say, ah, you want to be successful? Follow these success- successful people, and then you're going to be successful. So they usually pick big CEOs. They pick big people that own, you know, run non-for-profit organizations, presidents maybe even. But what about looking at the Torah? What about looking at the successful people in the Torah? So today, I would like to share with you two successful people in the Torah and what lessons we can learn from them. Number one is Yosef, and number two is Rabbi Akiva. So let's start with Yosef. Yosef, arguably one of the most successful or the most successful Jew, financially speaking. He went from being a slave to running the financial empire of the world. So you look at Yosef. Let's, look at, let's try to visualize his life. His, his mother is the one that Yaakov Avinu intended to marry. That's the one who he wanted. That was his soulmate in his eyes. Yet he didn't get to do that right away. He first had to marry Leah, his sister, and then he eventually ended up married Rachel. But Rachel wasn't, didn't, have, didn't bear any children for quite some time. Until finally, after many, many years, that all the other wives of Yaakov had children, finally, finally Rachel had, uh, was, was pregnant and Yosef was born. Now, if you can imagine, you know, somebody once asked the rabbi, he had a, he had a girl, and he said, do I need to make a kiddush? Do I need to make a celebration? So the rabbi said, if you would have been married for 10 years and you wouldn't have had a girl, would you, and then you had a girl, would you make a celebration? He says, are you kidding me? He says, of course I would make a celebration. I would make the craziest celebration, 10 years on having a child and having a child. So the rabbi responds to him, he says, the only thing you owe God a little bit of extra gratitude, they didn't make you wait the 10 years? <laughs> there was a guy, <laughs> reminds, sometimes I remind myself of jokes and stories. So <laughs> that, there was a guy who, um, who one time got hit by a car while crossing the street, made a big kiddush in shul. The next week, his neighbor, his next door neighbor, made a, even a bigger kiddush. So everybody goes over to him and says, listen, we knew why your neighbor made a kiddush, because he got hit, you know, and now, you know, Baruch Hashem, he's better. But why did you, why did you make a kiddush? You're okay. He says, that's why I'm making a kiddush. He says, because I didn't get hit. I lived the same place. I crossed the same street with him for 10, 15, 20 years. I didn't get hit. So why? He's the only one who's going to make a kiddush and not me? He says, we're all going to make a kiddush, right? And generally in Shabbos, when it deals with, you know, kugel, herring, and schnapps, people don't complain. Once you say, fine, you're making kiddush, people ask one question and then they move on. But let's look at Yosef, right? So Yosef is born to his mother and father who are waiting for him. So you could imagine the type of love and affection that they gave to this child. And Yosef grew up as like the prized child. And Yaakov Avinu went and gave a lot of attention and focused him. Now, Yosef was the only child out of all the other children that didn't have a brother from his mother. So he kept on saying, like, listen, when am I going to have a child? When am I going to have another brother? When am I going to have another sister? Maybe I'm going to have another sibling that I too could also play with them. So, 
After about seven or eight years, he finds the most amazing news, that his mother is pregnant again. Now, he is excited. He's loving it. He's in a different world. I remember when uh, my daughter, when, when uh, she found out that we were having another baby, I was talking about a while back, so she was so excited that when my wife was due any day, she, she thought already, like, every day she's going to school, that's it, she's coming home, there's going to be another baby. And um, one day she comes home, and she's so upset. She's like, I told all my friends already that you're going to have another baby today. And she was so upset at my, at my wife. And my, she said, go to the hospital right now and have the baby. I said, what am I supposed to do tomorrow? I'm going to school, and everyone's going to ask, but you have a boy or a girl. I cannot say anything. And she was so upset. She's like, she wanted to ship us out, go to the hospital. Just figure it out. All right, parents, this is what you do. So... You can imagine the excitement that Yosef had. The, imagine the excitement that he had, that he's, he's going to be like, okay, listen, I have another, I'm going to have another brother or sister. Nine months go by, and then the most dreadful news comes in. Because, yeah, he had another baby brother, but his mother didn't make it. And Yosef's life, an eight-year-old child's life, came crashing down to, to bits and pieces. This, this kid in nowadays age would be, need to be in therapy. So... He slowly builds himself up again. His father's working with him. He's working with him. He's, he gets a special coat. He's, he's the focus. He's the, you know, the eye of the father. Everything is like going amazing for him. He's having dreams that he's going to be ruling people. It's, like, it's going really, really well. Fast forward 10 years, and Yaakov tells Yosef, hey, listen, why don't you go and see where your brothers are? So yeah, Yosef says, fine. He goes. He walks to, he travels to where his brothers are, and his brothers see him in the distance. And what do they say? He's like, oh, here's the dreamer coming. Still remember, <laughs> about maybe three years ago, I gave right over here, I gave a class about dreams. And to the day, I have people that ask me questions about dreams, to the extent that some people tell me that in their phone, I'm known as the dream rabbi. Like, that's what it is, you know? <laughs> it's like as if I have like some tarot cards and like some crystal ball. Um, but they noted him, this is what he was known for. He's like, oh, here's the dream boy. Here he is, here he's coming. And they decided, you know what we're going to do to him? Says you, you know... Boys will be boys. Everyone will rough up. But I don't know anybody, and I hope nobody in this room, was ever sold by his brothers for 20 bucks on the corner, you know, to some Midianim or maybe Ishmaelim. You know, this is the last thing they do. But you know, this is what, the, what his brothers are, are seeing him come. He says, you know what? Let's kill him. That was their initial, you know, response. Then one of the brothers came to the rescue and says, no, 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 you don't have to kill him. Let's put him into a pit with snakes and scorpions, which, by the way, is not a, that much of a step. It's a step up. You know, but it's not that much of a step up. So he's sitting here, and he's pleading with his brothers. He's like, you know, can you imagine a 17, 18-year-old boy going and praying and begging his brothers, please don't do this to me. He says, what are you doing to me? He says, I'm begging you, please get me out of here. The brothers move away. Long story short, the brothers decide they're going to sell him. They sell him to the slaves as a, as a slave. He ended up, and not, not only did he sell him as a slave, he didn't, the, the slave owners kept on selling him. He went from Yanim to Yishmaelim. He went, kept on passing from, he's like, even the slave owners don't want me. He says, what's wrong with me as a person that no one wants me? Even furthermore, at this point in mind, Yosef thought that his father was in it as well. He says, just look at history. History always repeats itself. Avram and Sarah, they had a child from Avram's side, you know, from Hagar, Ishmael. Sarah says, send him out. Yaakov and Esav, the children of Rivka and Yitzchak. Rivka says, hey, hey, stay away from Esav. So Yaakov is thinking, he says, my two, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, both of them, they sent off one of the children. He says, maybe my, my other mothers, you know, for you know, Yaakov's other wives, they're doing the same thing to him. Maybe they're sending me away as well. And Yaakov is in it as well. Can you imagine an 18-year-old kid 
getting sold by his parents, getting sold by his brothers, getting sold from slave over to slave owner. Forget about therapy and dr- there's no help anymore, right? There's, there's this, in today's day and age, you know, there's no there's no classification that you can put that in. Like, you know, like off the derech, on the derech. There's no derech. You know, like it's so far off the derech. There is no derech to see. Like that's the extent of what Yosef. And yet Yosef, he, while all this is happening, he's in this caravan, and then he smells something. He's like, oh, listen, <laughs> the Arabs are they? Uh, is that spices? It's like there must be a god. <laughs> you know, God is smiling. I mean, really, God is smiling at you. God took away your mother. God took away your family. God pushed your family away from you. God took you away from slave owner to slave owner, and there is a God? And that, to that point? How did Yosef do that? You want success? Study the most successful people in history. Study Yosef. Study how did he, was he able to do that? Let's fast forward the story a little bit. He goes, he, gets, he ends up in Egypt. In Egypt he goes, and he gets uh, bought by... Potiphar, one of the most wealthiest Egyptians at the time. And Potiphar sees that he is doing really well. Everything that this guy touches is turning to gold. So they kept, you know, kept on you know, promoting and promoting him until he's running the whole household of Potiphar. He's running the business, the corporation, everything. that He is in charge of everything. And throughout all of this, he's constantly getting bombarded from the most beautiful woman in the world at that time, which was Aisha's Potiphar, who found Yosef so fascinating, and Yosef was the most beautiful person in the world, that she wanted to be with him so much that it says the Midrashim tell us that in every single day she kept on changing her outfit. Every, he never saw her in the same outfit twice. Some Flatbush people can do that also, but generally speaking, right? He never, he, she was so upset. She, you know what she convinced him? She says, look at the stars. Even from the stars, God wants us to be together. She took every single type of argument that he had and she dismantled it like a good lawyer. She says, no, 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 really, really, blah, 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 everything else. And Yosef says, no, 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 there's something, this is not what my God wants. This is something wrong, which this should not happen. Your husband trusted me with everything, this should not happen. Now, how could somebody like that? He's 18 years old now. He fell to the dumps. Finally, he climbed himself up to the place where he is successful. And now he has an opportunity, what some people call of a lifetime, and he is able to overcome Test after test after test. Until, until it came to the point where she tried to physically, physically be with him and he broke away and he ran away. And she ended up switching the tables around and saying, hey, listen, he tried to physically be with me. Long story short, he's in prison. He's in prison for 12 years. Now, at this point in time, you're like, okay, now he's done. Right? Okay, if he wasn't done until this point, at this point, he's got to be done. No family. Maybe he sees like God, you know, left him. No siblings, no mother, no father, no friends. Even his slave owners kept on selling him. And his slave owner that finally took him in and brought him up, put him in prison for 12 years. You think, that's good, you know, right? The obituary, this guy's done. But no, not only that, it's like while he's in prison, he's actually going and interpreting dreams for other people. And he's saying, oh no, with God is the interpretation. It's nothing to do with me. Everything's with God. How did he do that? How is it possible that he was able to reach that level? And then we all know how the story ends. By 30 years old, he ends up running the entire kingdom, financially speaking. He's, he's the second to the command of the most largest empire of the world at the time. He was the ruling kingdom of the world. So he went from the bottom, from the slave, from having nothing, not spiritually, physically, emotionally, intellectually, nothing, to the highest. You want success? Let's study how he did that. Before we do that, let's look for a second for a few minutes at Rabbi Akiva. 
Rabbi Kiva, he's known as the Rosh HaChachamim. He's known as one of the, he's quoted one of the most, if not one of, but the top amount of times in the Mishnah and the Gemara. It's quoted time and time again. You look at his life, that's a very interesting life that he had. By 40 years old, 40 years old, right? That's when people are dreaming about retirement, right? At 40 years old, where he thinks already it's done, he had a, he was a single father. He came from a line, uh, you know, of converts, so he didn't have any lineage. His, he was so against the rabbis that when, you know, when a rabbi would want to be, he would want to pulverize their, bite their, bite them like a donkey. A donkey has a very, very strong bite. He had no, he had a hatred towards it. So how did he get from being so low to being the top rabbi? How did he go from the bottom to the top? You look at it, his climb was not easy. He, came, he comes in, he's 40 years old. He's a, he's a shepherd for one of the most successful people at the time uh, in Israel at that time. And the daughter of this business magnate, the, the most successful person at the time, sees something in him. And she says, you know what, I see potential. And the way that it works usually is... A woman goes into a marriage saying, I could change him. Yeah. A man goes into a marriage, she's not going to change. Right? We all know they're both wrong. But, you know, you look at it, a woman has the ability to see things. Right? The woman says, you know what, I see potential in this guy. So she goes over to him, she says, I have a proposition for you. He has no money, he has nothing. He has nothing going for him. And she says, listen, you marry me, you'll have everything, whatever, we'll get married, and you'll be only in the condition that you go and learn Torah. Torah. I mean, he's like, maybe you haven't seen my rap sheet yet, right? You know, like, I am not the guy that's going to learn Torah. Like, that's not what I do. So he's taking a walk, and then he sees an inspirational sight. He sees water dripping into a rock, and a rock, it's causing a rock to have a hole in it. By the way, this is like something crazy. If you just pause the story right here, this is what he got inspired by? Really? Like, some people don't get inspired when they're like, flying through the air by an airplane and somehow miraculously there was a turbulence and they come landing over there. The next day they're back to their own life. They just got saved from like sudden death and they're like, okay, Rabbi Akiva saw water dripping from a rock and he was like, (laughs) yeah, inspiration. That's where he got inspiration? How do you see inspiration from that? The truth of the matter is that inspiration doesn't come from like the crazy things. Inspiration comes from within. You want to see inspiration? You'll see inspiration. Remember, I was once speaking to one of my students, and he's a um, very difficult upbringing. And when I first got introduced to him, so I have like a routine that I go, you know, like one of the first things, like, very, very difficult. I said, you know what, I'm going to have to go and like prove to him that there's a God, prove to him that there is the Torah is real, you know, we'll go through all the proofs. So I set aside three hours for this, just to prove him that there's God. I figured I need a lot of time, three hours, that's what I'm going to do. So we're outside by my house, and I'm like... You know, I start off, I'm like, okay, I'm going to prove to you that there's a God. He's like, what? He's like, no, I'm going to prove to you. I could prove to you that there's a God. You know, like, that's what I'm used to. Like, you can't prove that. No, no, I could do that. I, I could prove to you that there's a God. So he's like, he's, the most shocking thing, he says, I don't need proof that there's a God. There was a bush. And I live in Brooklyn, by the way, right? So the bushes in Brooklyn are bushes from Brooklyn, right? He's like, you see that bush over there? I'm like, yeah. It's like, it's by my knowledge. It's, you know, you can't smoke that. You know, he's like, you see that bush over there? He's like, and I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's proof that there's a God. I'm like, good night, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> you know, like, I have three hours of my night just opened up. Like, are you kidding me? Like, how do you do that? Like, this guy, because when you want to see God in your life, when you want to see inspiration, you'll find inspiration everywhere. 
You don't have to go and start looking at the most. Get yeah, you go to speeches. You go. It's amazing. You know, like you know, you guys are sitting over here today. What is it? Like three hours. You're sitting. By the way, this is unbelievable. Memorial Day when everyone has off. Only the Jewish people on tour anytime. There's three simultaneously, you know, lectures being streamed live from different locations, room full of people like we have over here. What are we like? Five thousand people over here. Uh, you know, like so many people. You know, like everyone has like that. It's like crazy what the Jewish people are. Right, the non-Jews are in the beaches doing barbecues, and the Jews are learning to ah. It's unbelievable. Mika Amchaisel, really. I should really thank you. Sir. Good job, you. Good job, you. A therapist told me I should say that. Okay, anyways, so going back to where we're, you know, you look at Rabbi Akiva, because when you want to see inspiration, you could see inspiration from anywhere and everywhere. You could see inspiration from anything in your life if all you do is just open your eyes. And Rabbi Akiva saw that. So Rabbi Kiva goes over and he says, you know what? Let's do it. I'm going to go learn. Well, yeah, let's, let's, we're, he's like pumped. He's like, I just got inspired. You know how someone gets inspired, right? They do a diet for about four hours and then they're like, yeah, let's do it. I'm starving. You know, like inject fat PDs into over here. You know, like, you know how people are. So he's inspired. He says, let's do it. He's a 40-year-old man. He was a big man, six feet tall. Where does he go? Can't get a tutor. So he goes, learns olive bays with a bunch of five-year-olds. So he's sitting over there. Imagine a, you know, those chairs. I don't know if you ever sat in those chairs, right? It makes you think that you have arthritis, no matter how old you are, right? You sit on like this, you know, the shiva chair with the little kids, right? And try. So he's sitting over there trying to learn the olive base. But guess what? His, uh, you know, his classmates are like, you know, they're pointing and laughing. He's like, what's this? You know, he could be my, you know, at that time, great grandfather, right? You know, like, is a great. This guy could be a dad. This guy could be a father. This guy could be a great grandfather. He's learning olive base. So Rabbi Kiva comes home to his wife and he says, listen, you know, they made fun of me in school today. So you know what, you know what the genius of Rabbi Kiva's wife? She says, yeah, I want you to do something. She goes and she tells him, I want you to take a donkey. And she made him plant flowers on the back of the donkey. So you had here a donkey with flower pots growing out of its back. And he says, I want you to walk with this donkey into the, into the marketplace. So... Right? Any smart person knows not to argue with your wife. He says, you know, walk with this funny looking donkey. You walk with the funny looking donkey. She takes, takes a donkey, walks in the, in the marketplace. Everybody's laughing. He's like, look at this guy. He's like, is he, are you serious? A donkey with flour on it? Everyone's pointing and laughing. He comes home. He says, I don't know why you made me do that. He says, everyone's laughing at me. She says, do it tomorrow again. And day in and day out, what happened after a week and a half of him doing that? People stop laughing. He's like, yeah, it's like Eva with a donkey. And then, you know, I was like, whatever. Yeah, of course. We see him all the time. Like, people stop, people got used to it. So she goes over to Rabbi Kiva and she says, listen, just like they got used to you with the flowers, the children will get used to it as well. And he went from the down again, all the way from the dumps, and he started climbing up again. He learned the olive base. He learned everything to the point that 24 years later, he's coming home with 24,000 students. Could you imagine if you were 24,000 students? I know nowadays people have all the social media and they have thousands of followers, but this is not what we're talking about when we're dealing with Rabbi Akiva students. You're talking about the disciples that are close, that are learning everything from Rabbi Akiva. 24,000. He's on the top of his game. The top rabbi has the biggest yeshiva, has everything going for him. And then a plague happens. And in a very short period, between Pesach and Shavuos, all 24,000 students died. If you make the math, it's roughly like seven or eight hundred funerals a day that this rabbi had to go to that his student. Now, you think about him. So he's at least 64 years old at this point. At least 64 years old, right? That's a shy one year of retirement. What would you think? Somebody nowadays had everything going for him, 
he came from nothing, built himself all the way up to have everything, and then all to come burning and crashing down. It's all right. God obviously doesn't want me to do this. You know, what more obvious sign can there be than all my students dying? But Rabbi Kiva didn't say that. Rabbi Kiva didn't give up. Rabbi Kiva went, and he went recruiting for another student. Can you imagine that recruiting process? Hey, listen, I'm uh, starting a yeshiva. He says, oh, are you, do you have any experience in yeshiva? Yeah, I had a yeshiva before. He says, oh, so you know what had happened with them? It's like, oh, you know, <laughs> I had 24,000 students. It was crazy. Um, so what happened to your yeshiva? Um, they died. He says, what do you mean? That, like, how many? He's like, no, all, all of them. It's like, all? You have a 100% mortality rate? Like 24, yeah, you want to join my ship? We have a beautiful building, plenty of space. Can you imagine that? What's a fundraising going to go for that? How did I, how did I make him do that? He's coming from, he had everything. Also, the biggest thing is look who joined him. By the way, the biggest sages joined him. Yeah, Shem Bayechai was one of the students. Rabbi Meir was a student. He, he went from nothing. He built himself up, came crashing down, and then he built himself all the way up back again again. You look at what's going on with these great people in our history, it's one common denominator. They don't give up. No matter what happens in their life, you think you had a difficult life? We all want, may God only bless us, may Hashem only bless us with only an amazing and successful life. We don't need any hardships. But look at the difficulties that he went through. You know why? Successful people, they don't see obstacles. They see opportunities. When difficult times happen, you have two things that you're able to do. You're able to say, all right, I'm done. Or you're able to use that as an opportunity to grow even greater and stronger than you have ever done it before. You're learning. And you're exhausted. It's 12 o'clock at night. You want to go to sleep. You're done. That's great. You learned for so long. But imagine what another five minutes of that's going to do. You know where growth happens? Growth happens when things get difficult and you push yourself. That's when growth happens. In the winter, generally it's easier to be modest. But in the summer... Oh, that's when the growth happens. That's when you really can grow spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, in all aspects in life. You look at through history, the greatest of the great, they never saw obstacles. They used everything in their life as an opportunity. The same thing is the way that it works if let's say you're going to the gym. Anybody here remember the kosher gym? Allah shalom, right? Remember that? When I was there, I remember I had a I used to work out with a, with a guy who wanted to be a bodybuilder. He wa- like that was, he came into like the gym with a suitcase full of vitamins, right? Uh, he came in with a full of, you know, like he was like, and he taught me a lot. He really did. He taught me a lot. And one of the things that he kept mentioning is you don't grow. If let's say you want to, you want to build muscle and you're lifting weights. If, you're, if it's easy for you, you're not growing. You're not building anything. You're not changing anything. It says, you know when you grow? You know when you, when you get what you want? It's when everything is so difficult that you feel like you can't do it anymore. You can't lift that weight anymore. You can't. And then you lift it. That's where the growth comes from. That's how Rabbi Akiva, that's how Yosef, look at what they had. They each had inspiration in their life. Yosef, smelling of spices. Rabbi Akiva, a dripping of water. Really? That's the, that's the inspiration? Yes. Because when you're looking for inspiration, you'll find it everywhere. If you're not looking for inspiration, you'll find it nowhere. It all depends on you. 
It doesn't depend on whether you served in the Mossad, and that's why you can be successful, or whether you served in the army, you have an army mentality. No, it all depends on you. Everything in your life, every decision that you're going to make, it all depends on you. Every decision. People like to blame. You know, oh, my parents, my little, my rabbi, my rabbi in second grade once hit me. Like, yeah, because you deserved it. You know, like if I would be allowed to, I would hit you too. You know, I, you know like, people blame everybody else except for themselves. Like, you want to grow in life? Then grow. You don't want to grow? Then fine, that's your own prerogative. But if you want to grow, you'll be able to grow in every aspect of your life. The key, the real, the key is, is that when hardship comes, and again, we're not asking God for hardships. They got, again, they give every single one of us only good in our life. But when hardship happens, when you appear to think of something as a hardship, use that for growth. So the next time that you're learning, the next time that you have the opportunity to grow, you think about it for a second. Do you want to, do you want to grow or do you want to go down? Now, I have to like speaking closer to the end of these like, big events because I wasn't here in the beginning, but I could almost, and I, you know, I asked also, like, I'm sure in the beginning there was a lot more people. What happens? It's Memorial Day. People get excited. People get you know, inspired. Yeah, I'm going to learn for three hours. And then they have a cell phone, right? They'll be like, oh, you know, like this just happened. There's a sale in Macy's. What? I did not expect that on Memorial Day. You know, and then they're out. You want to know the people that grow? The people are growing, the people that are able to stay here till the end. So if you're here today, right here, right now, you have the ability, you have that already engraved in you, then you're able to overcome the difficulties. You're staying here for two and a half hours already listening to people speak about Torah. It's unbelievable the power that each and every single one of you have. It's unbelievable to think of what you can accomplish. So I'll leave you all with a final blessing that may we all be inspired by Rabbi Akiva, by Yosef, and by all the great Jews throughout history. Because the Jewish people are here today, and you're here today because of the sacrifices that your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents made. And that's the only way that we're going to stay over here. May we all continue to grow and be inspired and not need any hardships or obstacles to overcome, but grow without that. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.